Ain't nothing in the world that I like better than bacon and lettuce and homegrown tomatoes. Up in the morning, out in the garden, get you a ripe one, don't get a hard one. Plant them in the spring, eat them in the summer. All winter without them's a culinary bummer. I forget all about the sweating and digging. Every time I go out and pick me a pig. Homegrown tomatoes, homegrown tomatoes. What'd life be without homegrown tomatoes? Only two things that money can't buy, and that's true. Elections are local now. Summer tomatoes are in. The heat wave is starting. A whole lot more on the June 12th edition of the Anderson Observer podcast. News from people you trust. Today we are going to talk elections, and we have our two final interviews for Tuesday's big primary event. Plus, we'll talk summer tomatoes and what's going on locally and a little bit more. As usual, the Anderson Reserver Podcast is brought to you by Sullivan's Metropolitan Grill, Anderson's Best Restaurant, heck, one of the two best restaurants in the whole state, according to a couple of uh, national polls. It also polls as one of the top 100 restaurants in the United States. People drive from Atlanta, Charlotte, Greenville, all over to eat at Sullivan's. If you haven't eaten there lately, you need to go down and see why. they got some new stuff on the menu, and they have the most amazing lunch, lunch and dinner anywhere. In fact, uh, you got to go by and just try dessert sometime if you're in a hurry. Um, they put South Carolina on the map, and Bill Nickus and his wife say where they kicked off the revitalization of downtown about 18 years ago, and Sullivan's has gotten better and better and better. Again, they got some new menu items. If you haven't tried them, their desserts are the best. They're unmatched anywhere. Sullivan's is as good as it gets. Visit them on Facebook or online to see their full menu items. And when you go down there, don't forget to tell them you heard about it on the Anderson Observer Podcast, news from people you trust. All right, the most important things first. Well, no, I'll talk about summer tomatoes in a few minutes. We'll talk about elections first, politics first. They're not quite as important as summer tomatoes, but... Over the past few weeks, the Anderson Observer Podcast, news from people you trust, has featured interviews with all three candidates for the Anderson County Sheriff's Race and one of the candidates for solicitor. So if you missed them, you can find them at andersonobserver.com slash podcast, or you can go to podbean.andersonobserver.com and listen to the extended interviews with all of those candidates who've been on so far. Well, today I'm finishing up the interviews with the other two candidates for the 10th uh, Circuit Solicitor's Race, which is our district attorney. Um, I talked to both of these men recently, and I wanted to give each one of them a chance to say what they want to say on this podcast, and I will feature uh, here both guys in alphabetical order. I was trying to figure out who to start with. So I'll start with Wilson Burr, and then we'll hear from David Wagner. I will say up front that I have found a lot to recommend from each of these candidates, uh, both in sheriff's race and in the solicitor's race particularly. Uh, and here's Wilson Burr and what he had to say. Okay, I'm talking to Wilson Burr, who is a candidate for the 10th Circuit District uh, Solicitor's Office, which is the same thing as a district attorney in other places. They just call it solicitor. Where people get confused as what that is. Tell, tell me a little bit about yourself. Greg, I'm originally from Bennettsville, South Carolina, over in Marlboro County. Uh, graduated high school, went in the Air Force, enlisted in the Air Force, spent seven years doing law enforcement, uh, spent some time in the Philippines and in Europe, and went to uh, England, was recruited in England for a special police unit they had in Germany, back when we had a lot of the terrorist groups, Al-Fada, Badamanhof, whatever. Uh, spent about three years there, got out. Thanks to the GI Bill, I was able to go to college. Uh, got an undergraduate degree in criminal justice from the University of South Carolina. Uh, went on, got a law degree, went straight through. In fact, I finished both degrees in just a, a little bit short of five years. And uh, after that, immediately, I also clerked in the solicitor's office while I was in law school. Uh, as soon as I graduated, I was hired right even before I passed the bar and uh, went to work as assistant solicitor. Uh, was married, had kids. The pay back then was not real good. 
since I already had the seven years in the Air Force, I went back in the Air Force as a JAG officer. I spent 15 more years in the Air Force, giving me a total of 22 years uh, as a JAG officer, served in Louisiana, uh, Okinawa, Korea, Texas, Virginia, uh, moved around a good bit. Uh, when I was in Korea, I had the only, I was a senior officer and the only Air Force legal office in the southern half of South Korea. It was a rather lonesome position. You had to make pretty serious decisions. Uh, after I got out of Air Force, I was in Virginia when I retired, uh, kept the same job immediately. I was appointed as the Deputy General Counsel for the Commissary Agency, which happens to be the largest food chain in the, in the world, probably certainly in the United States. Uh, I was GS-14 as De Deputy General Counsel. I uh, did that for exactly three years. I uh, decided to wanted to make a change. My parents were in bad health. Here in South Carolina, and after three years, you have what they call return rights. So I could could have gone back if I decided to. Uh, came back down to South Carolina, to be closer to my parents. Uh, opened a private practice in Columbia. Did that for several years. Had the opportunity to come up to uh, Oconee County uh, and work primarily under contract doing criminal defense for indigent, and just fell in love with the upstate. Been here a little over 11 years now. I had the job in the uh, public defender's office, uh, I'd say for over 10 years. And last year, just saw some bizarre case results that I cannot explain. I have a lot of faith in the system. I've always seen fair and just results come out of our judicial system. I saw bizarre cases that I couldn't explain. I'd, I'd have a hard time believing if you just told me about them. But I saw them firsthand, day to day. Uh, several people talked with me about running for Ms. Adams's position. Uh, discussed it with my family, with a lot of people that I trust. I batted that around from July until September. In September, I decided that something had to be done. Uh, nobody else seemed to want to step up to the plate. So I submitted a resignation in September, effective the end of December, worked that resignation out. And so I've been unemployed all of this calendar year, uh, unlike some of the people that I'm running against now. Uh, Ms. Adams, I had never talked to her on the phone in the 10 years I'd been up here. Never been to her office. She'd never been to my office. Don't know her personally. She called me out of the blue on two occasions once she heard that I was going to run and tried to discourage me from running. Even offered me a job. She said, if you just want to prosecute again, I'll give you a job. I got a job. I don't, I don't want a job. I want to make some changes. Uh, after I resigned, effective first of the year, I think it was the 12th of February, she finally came forward and admitted her health was bad. She, I think she'd been out a lot. I don't know if anybody's even seen her this calendar year. Uh, and so when he, at that point, she came forward and said that she was, her health was bad. She was unable to run. So then Mr. Wagner from the Coney office and Mr. Campbell from the Anderson office, then they decided they would run. And uh, in fact, I think Mr. Wagner's quote was he, he called Ms. Adams and got her blessings. I don't know why they had to have her blessings to, to run. Mr. Wagner's continued on the job, even though he has not been in his office in months. I had somebody call me this morning, said they had preliminary hearings and none of his cases removed because he wasn't there. Uh, Pachetti's continued to pick up the paycheck. He continues to drive a government car. The first 10 years that he worked in the Oconee office, he lived in Greenville. He's just only recently moved to Anderson. He's never lived in Oconee. 
uh, driving a government car back and forth. He was on a talk radio show this morning and explained that was part of the perks or benefits that enticed him to take the job. Uh, I personally have a, have a personal problem with using misusing government equipment. Uh, that kind of covers most of my background. Well, you sort of launched a little bit into my next question, which is why would you want to be? What what do you see as the priorities for the solicitor's office for the 10th district? Because it really has been, it's really been more like three years and maybe a little longer than that since there's been an aggressive uh, uh, posture taken by the solicitor's office. Um, the biggest frustration I have, and I have talked to law enforcement extensively over the last three years, and they have just expressed repeated frustrations about not getting you know, cases in court not in time, and guys sitting there on four or five first offense that hadn't even gone to trial yet, they keep getting pleaded out or bundled and pleaded out, which just doesn't happen in the city. You know, in the city, you don't see that as much, but in the county, we're seeing that a lot. Before I, even, before I made my final decision to give up my job and take on this, uh, this campaign, I was invited to have lunch with some of the investigators and narcotics officers from the sheriff's office. And they, without exception, everyone was extremely frustrated. One complaint they kept telling me, which actually kind of surprised me, is that when they turned their case in, turned it over to the solicitor's office, they wouldn't hear anything else about it until they read in the newspaper or, or heard on, you know, the results. They weren't being dis weren't being brought in to make decisions at all. That's absolutely just unacceptable. Uh, I think, and I keep saying the same thing over and over. Technique that I learned when I worked as an assistant solicitor in Russian County, uh, what the uh, solicitor there called lateral prosecution. Somebody's assigned to a case along with the officer from day one, and you work the case together and you stay in close contact. There's no finger pointing at the end of a trial if it doesn't go one way or the other. It just does away with all the problems if people are working as a team. I don't care anything that I've experienced in life works better as a team effort. Uh, and I've just, I have no idea why they don't have that communications. Uh, I'm also a little frustrated in dealing with the other two candidates now. They both, by their own admission, have had the job for years. Now they want to sit up and tell people, well, what I will do if I'm elected. My question is, why haven't you already done it? If you've been running the office, on one hand, they'll say, you know, I've got this experience, I'm running the office. Then when you question them on a certain decision or a certain case, then they say, well, that wasn't my decision. Somebody else made me do it. So either they ran the office or they didn't run the office. If they did, they should accept all the shortcomings. If they didn't run it, then they should admit they've never had experience, and I don't think either one of them has ever run a real organization before. Do you have a prioritization in mind on what kind of cases you would pursue most aggressively first? Obviously, uh, the, the violent crimes, vicious crimes, for, you know, rapes, murders, robberies, you have to pay close attention to your serious cases. But my big thing is all the cases could be dealt with. The 11 years that I've been in Oconee County, I cannot think of a single term of court where there was work left to be done when the judge left. They, you know, the judge will come over, they sit around, and we don't get anything done. Then the judge, up to, uh, last month, they had one case on the docket. That one case, uh, the guy fired his lawyer. So when the judge got there and the jury had been summoned in and paid to come in, sent everybody home. Didn't do any work that week. They got 300 people sitting over in county jail in Oconee County. Some have been there as long as, I guess, three years or longer. And uh, they did nothing, no, no work at all. They're, if they would work from the time the judge comes in to the time the judge leaves, 
I don't think you need to hire new attorneys. You don't need more court time. You need to schedule better and work harder. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to mention that. Oconee, is Sunderbury, Anderson, even worse. Um, the jails are, have been overcrowded really since the 60s. And at some point, unless county council makes a decision to, to do it, the feds are going to come in and build a prison and send us a bill. What what things would you do to get nonviolent offenders? And I'm talking about people who I'm not even. I'm talking about nonviolent in the in the purest sense of the word. Where I'm not even talking about theft necessarily. I'm just talking about simple possession things where there was no the so-called victimless crimes. Although you can argue that statement all day long. What would you do to reduce the prison populations in Anderson County? Because those prisons are so overcrowded. Yeah, well, We're in violation of federal law. I mean, yeah, and, and it's also just a, the term of art. Uh, I refer to the county jails versus the prisons, and, and we're talking now about the county yeah, jails. About the county jails uh, and it is a little more complicated. I'd like to just say it's real simple to resolve. A lot of people are in there as a result of child support, and then for magistrate court bench warrants or, or magistrates to sentence them to 90 days or less. Those you're sort of stuck with, but the hundreds of people that are on the list that have criminal charges pending, bring them to court, put them on the docket, run them through. There's absolutely no excuse. When I worked in Russian County, uh, I think the last full year I was there, Dick Carpulian offered a, a substantial bonus, and there were maybe 18 attorneys. If you didn't have, in, didn't have a warrant, it was over 90 days old, meaning when law enforcement turned the warrant in, you got it before the grand jury within 90 days. Once it's indicted, if you didn't keep that, that indictment for more than 90 days, either you negotiated the deal or you took it to trial, put it on the docket. I was the only attorney in that office that got the bonus that year. And right after I got the bonus is when I left and went back in the Air Force. But it just takes its management and work ethic. And if, if you manage your time and work hard, they, the resources are there. We don't need to spend more money. You mentioned this uh, in, in context of something else, but how important is the solicitor's relationship to the sheriff? Because, I mean, we're looking at two. We could have, I mean, it's going to be close. The sheriff's race is going to be really close. There'll be a runoff, and it'll, you know. But you could have a new sheriff and a new solicitor or a, or a sheriff skipper coming back with a solicitor that he feels like he can work with. I've met all three of the candidates, They're both the existing uh, sheriff and then the two challengers. Uh, I think I could easily work with, with any of them. But it's on a day-to-day -day basis, the people that are actually doing the work are the assistant solicitors and the investigators, kind of the lower echelon people, and there's no excuse for them not to get along. Uh, I've never had a problem. So I've had seven years in law enforcement. I just have a special place in my heart. I guess I'm kind of a wannabe cop now. Uh, so I just can't imagine not spending time with them, not wanting to work with them. I don't perceive that as being a problem. And I'm just, it was something unique about the Chrissy Adams office over the past few years that is, has caused some kind of a problem. And again, to be honest, in Oconee County, I've not seen that, that problem that I hear about in Anderson. I think it's, it's more well, I was going to say, that's too very big. And I, I know, I guess you've had access to some of the budget stuff too, coming in, getting prepared for this. Uh, do you think there are enough resources to cover both those counties? We got, I mean, we've got pretty big counties. Anderson County is almost, well, 780 square miles or something, and it's grown to 200,000, and our, our infrastructure has not kept up with our growth. One question I brought up last night at a debate, all the money from the bonus treatments, from pretrial intervention program, because there's a fee that goes along with that, with the check program, with the drug courts, all that money goes back to the solicitor's office. I've heard Ms. Adams talk about so-and-so didn't cost the taxpayers any money. 
and that's the distinction she's been making, it's still government money. That's a lot of money. I'm, I'm, numbers I've been given are millions of dollars. Uh, and then when they confiscate drugs, a large portion of the money in that comes back to the solicitor's office. I have not been able to find any audit that's ever or has been done in the past 10 years. Nobody seems to know exactly where that money is. You might remember Oconee had a problem uh, maybe six, seven years ago where a secretary had embezzled a half million dollars and the local newspaper showed a little pie chart of how much money you've been taking in and what part of it goes to whom. And about 40% of all that money was going to the solicitor's office. So we're talking big bucks in there somewhere. Uh, the question came up last night for the uh, for Mr. Wagner as to him driving the government car as a secretary out of the office that uh, seems to be running the Anderson office right now, uh, who's making a lot of money. So I didn't need to do the four-year request and ask for how many people were making over $50,000. I would, I would venture to say this secretary is making well over $50,000. She has a government car that she drives back and forth in Salem, back over here. I, that's the only time I can ever recall any job where I've known a secretary to have a government car for personal use. Do you have like, uh, you know, a one, three, five-year plan that if you get elected, that you, what, what do you do first and what your priorities are? I had people rolling their eyes when I was talking to them individually last night. I think in, in 12 months' time, you can make a, a big difference. It's, it doesn't have, we won the war in Europe in less than four years. I mean, if somebody comes in there and works, uh, you have to start with the people that are in jail or people that have existing charges and just keep a list in your hand. And old, I keep saying old is first. Now, that's not an absolute rule. You know, if you have somebody, it's, you know, mass murder or whatever, you may pay, you'd pay special attention to it. But typically, uh, right now, the, the prosecutor uses that docket control as a tactic in, in what they're going to do. They get an advantage over the defense bar. You don't need that. For all I care, the clerk's office could run the docket. Just say, you know, this week, here are the top 25 cases. Get them ready to go to trial. And 99% of them, when you bring them in that courtroom, are going to plead guilty anyway. But you've got to force them. As long as they can sit in the jail and visit with mama and daddy and girlfriend, whatever, they would rather stay here than go down to the state penitentiary. So you need to force them by bringing them there, put them on the docket, put them in the courtroom. And if it is a trial, do it. Get them out of the way. And this kind of plays into that a little bit, but I'm not as familiar with Oconee County. Um, I've, I've been, my family's been here about eight generations, so I miss Anderson's. I know Anderson. Um, but you ask anybody, uh, even some of the foot soldiers, but if you ask anybody investigated above, tell me who the four or five people committing 60% of the crimes are. They can tell you. They can name them. And a lot of them are out walking around. They've had things bundled and been released. You know, they'll have 10 charges and bundle them into one, and they'll pay a fine and they're back out on the street and some of them I mentioned that earlier I know one particular was literally and this happened this was last year it was awaiting first offense um, burglary on five separate charges that had never gone to trial I can give you a lot of examples like that I'm sure you that, got that names was, in Oconee that, the that same guys part of, part of my frustration on this distribution of meth I had one, one person I knew of that was had, had her fifth Trafficking and the trafficking is based on weight. Had enough weight of methamphetamines to be charged with trafficking, and on her fifth charge, uh, had a PR bond. And she's right back out. You know, finally, you know, she got arrested. And I think she got a short amount of time recently. But uh, yeah, in a story, I hate huge names, but there's one of the investigators that I thought the world of, considered a personal friend. But his, when he was doing 
housebreakings, burglaries, theft, and a certain portion of Oconee County, if somebody's four-wheeler was stolen, he could give you a list of about four names. It was the old roundup, the usuals. Mm -hmm. And I would tell him, as a defense attorney, I said, you just can't do that. And the sad part of the story was he was always right. Mm -hmm. He could name you, give you a choice of four people, and they would go out and come find out that person had stole somebody's four-wheeler from up in the cabin or whatever. So, yeah, law enforcement, generally, they know who's doing what. And one of my complaints, people get right back out on bond. If somebody from the solicitor's office shows up at every bond hearing and says, Judge, here's the rap sheet, and this person's already been out on bond three times, they aren't going to get out on bond. That magistrate could not stand the heat. But nobody's showing up. Nobody's pressing for it. It's just whatever happens, happens. Nobody seems to be driving the boat at all. It just run, drifts along on its own. And I guess that kind of plays in a, the last thing I really wanted you to kind of to, to delineate for me a little bit is how would you be different than the other two guys? I mean, what would your office look look like that would be different than if one of the other two gentlemen were like? I think people, the people that I would want working as attorneys in my office would all be trial attorneys, people that wanted to do trials, people that weren't scared to do a trial, and people that were willing to work and earn their salary. I, uh, I personally think the attorneys in the solicitor's office are, are paid very well. Uh, they should be willing to, to work for that, and there's a, a lot of people that would love to have those jobs. So, yeah, I would have a, a team. I would also want more training. I mean, you got to have some younger people coming into the system also, so I would want to train my attorneys. The military services do that. If you're going to be one of the trial attorneys, you're sent to a lot of schools, you're trained. That's how you learn to be a trial attorney. The last one this county's had was uh, Drew Ann White was a former Marine, and she is a trial attorney. She's fun to watch. That's not what I see typically with the people they have in the solicitor's office now. Uh, they just, they aren't, they don't have what it takes or the hunger to make a, you know, want to do a good job. They just kind of put in their time and pick up their check. Well, and one more question. One of the other things that has come up is the visibility of the solicitor. How important do you think it is to be visible in the community? Because that's something, again, that's been lacking for a while. Uh, I think... I think it's really important because people want to know it's an elected position. People have, have voted you in. Taxpayers are paying your salary. Uh, so you owe them a duty to have so they can see you and ask you questions. Uh, I would be or am always really, really big on like an open door policy. Uh, if anybody's got if, any job I've ever had in my life, if you have questions about why I did what I did, come sit down and talk to me. I had somebody send me a message last night when I was getting ready to go to the bait saying that Somebody down in Townville had a question for me. Uh, he told me what the question was. I wouldn't bring it up. And I sent back to this young lady. I said, tell him to call me. I'll answer it. Or I'll go see him face to face. You know, there's nothing. What are the decisions I make? I don't want to be able to explain them to people. Tell them why I made the decisions. They might not like my answer. But then I'm going to think it through. I'm going to get the best counsel, best advice I can from people around me. Make a decision. And I'm going to be willing to tell the uh, public about it. That's been a reoccurring problem. Part of what led me to get in this race and what I've heard from people since I've been out talking to them, it's like major decisions are made behind closed doors. One or two attorneys in the solicitor's office decide who should go to trial, what charges should be dropped, and I'm talking some serious cases that have been mishandled. We have a grand jury. I think any time there's a question of a serious case at a minimum, it should go to the grand jury as 18 citizens that have been elected or selected 
to, uh, to vote on whether it's probable cause and whether it should go to trial. One attorney should not have the power to decide on a murder charge whether a person should go to trial or not. Uh, so it should, we need transparency. With transparency, integrity will return to the office. Well, what have I not asked you that people need to know about you? I'm sorry? What have I not asked you that people still need to know about you? Maybe a question well, about somewhere. I keep emphasizing this, and people that are around me all the time are about to get sick of hearing it. But I have a passion for what I'm doing. I said to the point of, I enjoyed it, and some of the attorneys, some of the candidates want to beat up on me for being a defense attorney. I've done both sides. I prosecuted and defended. I like defense work. A lot of times those are people that need help, and I tried my best to help them. I enjoyed the job I had. I put together a really good, little, comfortable office over in Oconee County. Everybody knew their jobs. You know, it was just a fun place to work. I gave that up. I picked up my last paycheck in December. If I'm elected, I still won't get paid again until next January. That is a commitment on my part. I believe that strongly, and our wife sitting here with me, and, and you know, of course, we've decided together, are we willing to give up our income for a year to just to do this? And it's not a stepping stone for me. You can look at me and tell I'm not a young kid, uh, so I'm not going to be running from governor next time. I may not even be eligible or may not do a second term in this job. I want to get in and clean up the mess and work for the people of these two counties, and I feel strongly about it. Well, appreciate you taking time to talk to us, and uh, we'll catch up with you again soon. Okay, thank you very much. Nice meeting you. As I said, I appreciate Mr. Burr taking time off the campaign trail to let our podcast listeners hear his ideas. And the same is true of, true of David Wagner, who I also talked to this week. Okay, I'm talking to David Wagner. He is running for solicitor, and we have had one of the candidates on. David's our second, and it's creeping up on us here in less than two weeks now. And I guess, first of all, David, just tell people a little bit about yourself, if people that don't know you, or they need to know about you. All right, Greg. <clears throat> I'm uh, 52 years old. I grew up in Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, lived there pretty much my whole life. I came to Anderson um, in 1991. George Duckworth, I got out of law school. I uh, went to undergrad at Western Carolina University, played football there, walked on, got a full scholarship, played uh, offensive line, got a degree in biology. I was going to go to dental school, but... Um, the more I thought about pulling teeth for the rest of my life, I decided I didn't think I wanted to do that. So I switched gears, went to law school, decided I wanted to go into prosecution, wanted to be a prosecutor. Um, the alternative there was probably the FBI, and I did look into that a good bit too, but ended up deciding. I met my wife and uh, decided I wanted to stay home. <clears throat> so anyways, I applied two places, Greenville. Joe Watson was a solicitor there, and uh, – great man he uh didn't have an opening at the time they were short-handed and they were i mean they were short-spaced and they were looking mm-hmm. to add but they didn't have they didn't have the you know the facilities for another prosecutor but he referred me over to george duckworth uh who was a friend of his george hired me on the spot uh i'll never forget george he showed up uh at our interview i was there in a suit on like, like july 27th it was super hot <laughs> i was sweating bullets and out there on by the old courthouse because George's that's back when the old courthouse was still where we still ran court I actually I actually did court in the old courthouse and uh, before the move and uh, George he he showed up in a tank top or t-shirt and shorts and I was sitting there sweating and he just looked at me and said uh, I should have told you not to dress up why are you so dressed up <laughs> yeah so anyway I knew right then and there I would probably get along just great working for George so he hired me and I worked for George for 10 years 
uh, Drew Ann White after that, and I went to Greenville, took a job, which was pretty much a promotion, I thought, for me to go to Greenville, work for Bob Ariel. But about a year later, uh, Adams got elected. She came to me and said, hey, um, I need you, I would want you to go run the Oconee office. And George, had he had asked me to do that at one point in time, too, to see if I wanted to. But I, we had bought a house in Anderson County, and we were living there in Powdersville, and my wife was commuting to Greenville and uh, turned that down. But anyway, it was a chance to go run a whole county office. And uh, so I, I took it and uh, been there 11 years since. So I've been in, been in the prosecution business my entire career, 25 years now. Um, I've been very successful. I've taken more criminals to trial than anybody else in the circuit. Um, I've got uh, probably 20-something thousand cases that I've actually handled. Um, you know, obviously those are not all trials, but as far as the numbers of cases and the experience that goes with that, I've been doing it a lot longer than most anybody in the state, too. There's, there's a few around, um, and I actually went to law school with two or three of them that are friends of mine um, that have been around as long as I have doing it. But it takes, uh, it takes a, the drive to want to be a prosecutor for a long time because people, people will approach you. And, uh, you know, a lot of guys do it for a few years and go out private practice because they're going to make more money. Um, I'm one of those guys that I just never wanted to represent criminals ever, and uh, and I, I, I say I, I'll never will. It's a it's a passion for me. Um, anyway, that's what I want to do, and it's what I keep what I want to do every day. I get up every day and I enjoy you know prosecuting. I had a big case last week. Uh, it was a murder case, burglary first, and uh, we were going to pick a jury on it Monday. They decided to end up pleading. A uh, guy got sentenced to 48 years. Uh, the victim's family was extremely grateful, and uh, they came up and hugged me. They had flown in from the West Coast. They'd come driven down from North Carolina, from the Midwest. They had a number of family members all over the place. Um, but I live here in Anderson. Um, I'm married, have four children. Uh, my twin girls, uh, Mary and Victoria, just graduated from T.L. Hannah last, last week. And... Uh, they're probably going to college in Charleston next next year is where they want to go. Um, my daughter, Anna's in ninth grade there. She was finished up last day of school yesterday. And uh, my son, we homeschool. We actually homeschooled all my children for, I say we, I'm giving myself a little credit there. My wife does most of that work. And she, she and we homeschooled for about 12 years. And uh, got good kids. They're, they're good kids. And, uh, and they've done well. Got great grades. Um, but people ask me all the time, um, you know, on the campaign trail, they say, Dave, you don't, why are you running for office? Why are you want to be solicitor? You don't seem like a prosecutor. I mean, you don't seem like a, a politician. And I tell them, I'm, well, I'm not a politician. I'm a prosecutor. And uh, they ask me why I want to run. And uh, usually the I mean, best way for me has always been just to tell them a story about why I want to do it. And it goes back to... Uh, the 90s, I had a lady come into office. Her name was Jennifer. And uh, Jennifer was a very nice lady, single lady. She wasn't married. She had no kids. Um, her whole life was her dog and her cat and her work and her friends, basically. And uh, she came in, came home from work one day. Her front door was kicked in, splintered. And uh, she knew right away she'd been a victim of a burglary. And uh, the people were gone. She went into her house. Uh, the, her cat was stomped to death on the floor. And, uh, I mean, literally stomped to death. The uh, Looked for a dog, couldn't find her dog. She ended up finding it outside in the flower bed. The people that had done it 
had taken paver stones and had basically stoned the dog to death just as I got a meanness out of spite. I don't know. Why would anybody do that? But the dog had to be put to sleep. It was very, I mean, it was broken bones and it, it couldn't be saved. Uh, she was pretty distraught, as you can imagine, because you know how people are very attached to their pets. And she she went back in her house. All Anything of value was basically gone. She, they cleaned her out. And the uh, sheriff's office got on it, and uh, they did a good job. They ended up catching the guys. There were three of them. The main perpetrator um, had a had kind of a record. I said kind of a record. He had the, the kind of record that qualified at that time. They had passed recently passed the three strikes you're outlaw. And I, I took one look at him and what he had done in his record, and he had been convicted of armed robbery and burglary in the past. Uh, this was definitely his third strike. And uh, what really disturbed me about him was his attitude and just the hate and evil in his eye. And uh, I knew at that time, I was like, you know, th this is the type of person that really you, you've got to take off the streets. So we, we made him no offers. Uh, we called it for trial. Uh, we tried him. He was convicted, and he got a life sentence. And, uh, you know, at that time, I realized, you know, not only can you, um, can you punish the person for what they've done and help that lady, and to put her at ease, put her knowing that guy's never going to be coming back in there doing that to her. But you realize that, you know, by doing your job and doing it right, you can prevent future crimes from happening to people like Jennifer. And, uh, you know, and at that point in time, it, you know, kind of, not that it had never sunk in before, but I kind of realized at that point in time, that, you know, this is really what I want to do for the rest of my career. So that's probably been, oh, I want to say 20 years ago. And um, I've been hard at it ever since. I've uh, I've used three strikes laws on folks multiple times, and it, you know every person that qualifies for it doesn't necessarily need it, but the ones that do, it's been a tool. I've taken a lot of career burglars and people that have done murders and things off that maybe couldn't be proven, or you know the ones that you know people knew they had that involvement in it, but had gotten by with it somehow, had not been charged or. Um, we've been able to take a lot of those off the place. But so when asked me why I'm running, you know, I, I tell people, well, you know, it's for people like Jennifer. It's for my family, you know, my dog. You know, I think that could have been my dog. What, what would have happened to Jennifer had she been home? You know, what would those guys, somebody that come in and stomp your cat to death, that kick your front door in, and they didn't know she was home or not. That's, that's, the, that's the bad thing with burglaries is, you know, they usually happen when nobody's home, but not often. I mean, not always. And if somebody's home, somebody's going to kick your front door in and come in there, it's likely to kill you. And I do think Jennifer uh, would have definitely been in harm's way had she been home. And uh, that could have been my wife, your wife, anybody's wife, anybody's kids, you know, my dog. I mean, I you just you think about the ramifications, and then you think about what can I do about it, and putting that guy away for the rest of his life, he'll never do anything like that to anybody again. Plus it sends a message to people like him, you know, people, word gets out, you know, and that's all you can do. Every, every day I go into court, the guy last week in the case we had last week, uh, he actually broke in on a man at night, the guy was sleeping and his girlfriend ended up, the guy woke up and surprised him during the midst of the burglary, chased him down the hallway and shot him to death, you know, so it's, it's burglary work, 
we're in the process now in the, the here in Anderson County. We are the number one burglary county in the state right now, according to what the news has been reporting. I think 13th in the nation. Some of that's though how we report. We're much more yeah. aggressive in how we report our crime. I, Could be. I hear those that you know that a lot of states don't even report some of the stuff that we report very in great detail. Yeah. Well, that's one of the questions. You, you, you sound like you have an, an aggressive approach to it. One of the complaints I've been hearing from law enforcement is, uh, you know, under under Christy Adams that they they can't get a lot of cases made. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm just hearing from the law enforcement people, how would you change some of that? that, that the two things I'm hearing are, she's not involved in the community at all. And I'm talking about the current solicitor. Yeah. And she makes it harder than necessary for us to make the cases. Now, look, I know sometimes the law enforcement doesn't do their due diligence either. But uh, I know even just talking to the sheriff and stuff, there are people that are waiting. Sometimes it's court backlog. I know there's other things. Solicitor's yeah. office can't do everything. But I'm hearing that just sort of universally from law enforcement. How would you change that? Well, I, I've already changed it in Oconee. You've got to realize that 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 is that is I hear those same complaints here in Anderson, and a lot of it I really was not as familiar with how much that that appears to be a problem here in Anderson. Um, we don't get those same kind of complaints in Oconee, and I've been up there eleven years. And one of the things we've done up there is, is I've taken a hardline stance when when we went in. And it's something I actually picked up from Bob Errol's office in Greenville. They had a policy, and I agreed with it when we went there. We did not have that here in Anderson. And the policy was, if you go on the trial docket, you go to either you go into trial or you're pleading to what you're charged with. There's no reductions at trial. You know, now there's a lot of cases on the docket you can't try them all, but the ones that push you to where you, you've got them on the docket, you take a hardline stance, and sometimes. Sometimes, you know, you're going to win most of the time. Sometimes it hurts you because maybe you could have gotten a little more out of it and if the jury comes back, you know, with a lesser degree charge or something like that. But what it does is it sends a message to the defense bar. It sends a message to the criminals that if you're going, you know, if you're fixing to get put on that docket, you know, you better be willing to own up to it. And uh, that that's a, one tool that we've used successfully. They're not doing that here in Anderson. No, they're bundling. They're bundling sometimes ten charges into yeah. one small thing they can plead yeah. out on. Well, I, there was that that arson case that I think my opponent did last last month. Um, you know that got pled to lesser degree charge at trial. And uh, I, mean, I don't know with those victims. I, I hear they were very upset. I don't know. We don't do that in Oconee. Um, we, we're all on the same page in Oconee with law enforcement whether it be the sheriff's office, Mike Crenshaw and his guys, or Ronald Wilbanks at the Walhalla Police Department, the chief there, or Chief Awalt at the Westminster. We're on the same page with those guys. Now, we don't always agree on every case, and there's some cases that we don't really think are as strong as they do and vice versa, you know, and there's, there's some that they really don't want to push that we, we end up pushing because the person has a, a bad record or something like that. But we all pretty much on the same page. And what I've been able to do up there, I've been able to get all of us on the same page with the magistrates. And uh, so when I, case in point, this guy, uh, Jeffrey Hughes, he's one of these guys that's been tearing up Townville up there in that part of Anderson County, which is, everybody knows is right on the Oconee line too. Well, he was out on like four bonds here for different charges. And uh, young, a young guy, but already well on his way of being a super criminal, you know, I mean, he's, he's, when you, when you get four five, six cases pinned in stealing cars, breaking in cars, a night hunting charge, he was out on some stuff like that. 
you're getting to be a menace quick and you're getting to be a problem. And uh, he went on another rampage, stole a, some cars, ended up getting into Oconee County, trashed one of our um, citizens' fences up there, did a lot of damage to the truck and the fences. And um, our magistrates in Oconee set a $95,000 bond on him. So he's still sitting in our jail there. And uh, he, he has quickly become one of the ones that I focused on my 11 years up there is people like him you target them. I mean, basically, he's a priority. And even though the cases are new, he's a priority because you can't afford him getting out and doing it again. So he's another one by going after him aggressively. And uh, we, we he'd be one we won't offer him a deal. We'll just go ahead and start getting ready for trial. We're working with the sheriff's office and uh, David Smith there, the detective that's working on that. We'll try to get the paperwork quicker. We'll try to get that to the defense attorney. Well, you know, he'll probably have his preliminary hearing if he wants it. We'll try to get him indicted quicker because you have to, in, in, be, they have to be indicted before you can actually try him in court. And uh, that usually takes 90 days. We'll try to get it done quicker than that if we can, 60 days maybe. That's that's what I want to do circuit-wide. So you see the relationship with law enforcement is critical to what you're doing. I mean, yeah, you've got to cooperate. You, you've got to have, you know, I, I call it, you know, shoulder to shoulder. You've got to be working with them in conjunction because in any criminal case, you've got to turn over your discovery stuff. You've got to turn over those reports, any evidence that you've got. You've got to give them access to it, and I say them, the defense. And uh, until you do that, you, they're not going to be ready for trial. You know, so the quicker you get that to them, the quicker you can indict it, the quicker you can put it on the docket and try it. And if you do that enough and you send enough of these guys down the road, they're not, they're not out there repeat offending, repeat offending, repeat offending. And that is one way, and a chief way, I think, that we've, you know, stopped the revolving door in Oconee County. Now, there are some that come in and get out. A lot of times people think revolving door because you've got people coming in for shopliftings or things like that where they're really not in our jurisdiction, and they get bonded out because it's not that serious, and they see them on the arrest thing several times. You know, there's one guy out there in Oconee, Stoney Medlin. Stoney's, he's kind of like Otis on... <laughs> you know, on the Andy Griffith show. He's always, when it get, when the weather starts getting cold, he'll throw a rock through a window or he'll do something to get arrested because he wants three hots in a cot. And people complain about that all the time. How come nobody does anything about Stoney Meadow? Well, he never comes to general sessions because he never does anything too serious to warrant that. So there's some of those two that give that perception. But I think what, what we've done in Oconee for the last 11 years, we, we have had a, a, a pretty good impact on things. And a lot of that is just being straight up with the officers, forming that bond. That they I mean they know they can come to us and talk to us. They know we can call them. I've got all their cell numbers. They've got my cell number. They call me all the time. Um, we have that relationship with them, and it's worked effectively. I don't think they've had that down here. So you um, see the solicitor's office is kind of helping prioritize who you spend your time on. Yeah. You know, and, and I said that from the court of steps when I announced for office. Other, my opponents have all, piggybacked on that. They didn't say that initially, but I, I targeted the, what I called them was a, a start of recidivism task force. Recidivism being the guys that keep coming back. And, uh, but of course, violent crimes. Even. Yeah, well, violent, violence take a priority too, but just basically because those people, you know, you, somebody like this guy I had last week that got 48 years. I mean, he's obviously a violent criminal. He's one, had they been able to make an arrest on him earlier, we might could have prevented that. Now, I'm not saying... That's nothing against the sheriff's office. They were working those cases hard because that guy was breaking into all kinds of places on the Mill Hill right where this happened. And uh, they had nobody been able to catch him yet. 
and they were working them hard. It just it he he went from breaking in houses to breaking in houses and murder just within a few weeks. And uh, with a lucky break here, there, maybe a fingerprint or something like that, they might could have got him earlier. And uh, with that many burglaries, he would have been a target. How how important do you think it is to be really visible in the community? I mean, to be this for the solicitor, people know who the solicitor is. And I've said that from day one too. The solicitor needs to have a presence. And I would call visible is a good word. I would call it a presence. You need to be out front leading the office. You need to be out front talking to people. Um, you need to you need to form those relationships with the different departments. And uh, you know, and I, I've heard those complaints. You know, and that Solicitor Adams has has not been there. You know, and in all fairness to her, you know, she's had a whole lot of health issues and she's probably not been able to. But I plan on being a lot more visible. I plan on having a presence not only in the community, but in the courtroom too. I plan on trying more cases. Uh, I've worked under four different solicitors now and uh, I've seen what works and what doesn't. And uh, to me, there's a there's a balance there. You need to be in court more. You need to be trying some of these cases. It, not only does it it gets you out front there. It helps the office because we're, you know, our solicitor's office in both counties is, is really fairly shorthanded. We don't have the resources that say they had to in York County. York County, they've got a lot more staff, a lot more prosecutors. The caseload is lower. And uh, not quite sure how they do that, whether their funding is different. I, I don't know, but they do. And it's, and it's got comparative counties. We've compared them before. We're a big county. People forget. We are. Well, it's in square miles, and our population's really grown. And we are. Exponentially. And, and uh, But, you know, that, that's where I, you know, the it's working a lot better in Oconee. And I, people are realizing that. I, the more I talk to officers and things like that, that have talked to the guys up in Oconee, and uh, Kenny Washington, who's head of the narcotics up there. I mean, I, you know, I, I tell people, you know, talk to those guys because the solicitor's office and law enforcement, our whole, what we do is different in Oconee than it is in Anderson. And then my thing is, I think we can do it a whole lot better in Anderson and, uh, and make them both, you know, places. And by, and by cutting down on crime here in Anderson, we'll cut down on crime in Oconee because you're getting pieces like Jeffrey Hughes that are spilling over, you know. And vice versa, you know. Well, you, you you sort of answered this in some of your other discussion here, but do you have a like a, a real strategy in mind if you get elected, what you'll do when you hit the ground here? Yeah, I do, and a lot of it's what I've already done at Oconee, you know, which I kind of would have always gone about. I want to target those folks, and it's not, you know. So they we can, can tell you the names, like you are saying, okay, they can, I can, every time I talk to law enforcement here, they can tell me four guys that are responsible for about half the burglaries. And exactly. Some of them are up, you know, sitting, waiting for four or five first offenses and yeah. going to trial, so they keep getting popped out. But I'd like to assign a, a prosecutor or two um, to really go after those folks strictly and fast-track those guys. And, you, you know, you, you would have somebody with a smaller caseload that would be in court all the time. And it's, it's got to be somebody that's aggressive and go-getter. And, uh, and we've got some of those folks in the office now. And uh, the uh, that's that's one way. I also want to uh, take a tougher stance on, on criminal domestic violence. You know, we're number one in the country with that, and that's one of those things that's just totally unacceptable. And uh, you know, we're looking at that, going after those folks. Harder so you'd be too. a part because you know Anderson County has a task force that's trying to fast track even get ahead of the state on that with they uh, county council and Ann Thayer, and people are already putting some of those in place before they go into law next summer. Right. The domestic violence stuff. And, and I think they're they're ahead of the game here in Anderson. So you'd be a which, part of that kind of stuff. Exactly. Yeah, I'd love to be a part of that and plan to be. Um, 
and, and I applaud what they're doing on that front. Um, but we've got, you know, there's a lot of work, a lot, a lot of what's going on here in Anderson, I think too, is just basically a lack of leadership, you know, and, uh, you know, I know my opponent quit recently and left, left them hanging. Um, right now, you know, the, the office is not in good shape and, uh, uh, we'll fix that. Well, anything else you want people to know before they go out and vote here in less than two weeks? Well, I've got, I'm the only guy that brings to the table 25 years of prosecution experience. And like I say, I've tried more cases than any of them. I've locked more people up behind bars than any other person, even close running. Um, what I differentiate myself between the other two guys is one of them is basically a career public defender. And he has been fighting me for 10 years. Um, trying to take the people that I'm trying to put away um, and put them back out on the streets. And now, after 10 years of that, he wants to switch gears and uh, and supposedly put them in jail. And uh, when I look over at the, the public defender's office there in Oconee, um, all their cars have his decals on them and stuff like that. I, I find that a little strange that all of a sudden he would be on the other side and they're all supporting him, how that's going to work out. And, uh, I don't see that working. And, uh, you know, like I say, I've been fighting him for 10 years and, uh, he is on the exact opposite end of the spectrum as I am, you know, totally different mindset. The, uh, the other guy running, um, doesn't have the management experience I do. I've been running that office for 11 years successfully and it's, it's rare we get a visiting judge come into Oconee County and not call me up there and thank me for a well-run week of court. And a lot of what I do is basically manage the docket and get the docket through. I'm up there in court every day making sure the pleas are going in a timely fashion. We're usually working the pleas oldest to newest. A lot of that stuff is just being somebody being up there on the ground doing it. A lot of other circuits have people that maybe get up there and do that for. We don't have that kind of manpower, so I take that on. I've run, I run routinely, like right now, I probably have 500 cases on my docket. My opponent that quit a couple of weeks ago had about 140 or 50 on his. You know, so I take a huge docket. Plus, I run the office. Plus, I've tried more cases than any of them. And and I think that's what you, you lead from the front. You lead by example. Um, we don't have problems, supposedly, I hear this stuff about people being tardy and people, all that. We don't have those problems in Oconee because I don't let it go on. And uh, I, I tend to think that if you want to leave the office, you lead from the front, you set an example. You know, if people are being tardy, you stop it. You know, you don't, you know, you don't end up quitting leaving everybody else hanging. I knew, I've caught flack recently from, uh, the uh from the other two about i should quit you know i should quit my job because they've quit theirs that you know it's like somehow because i i'm still employed with the solicitor's office I, and i'm campaigning but you know i'm i'm taking all my time off and burning all my leave time to do it um i had an obligation to those victims in that case last week that case had been set for trial in uh basically in December. We had decided that we were going to put it on for May. And we already had the, the defense attorney in that case had already, he already had another big case for April that we had set where a lady was set on fire with gasoline. And uh, so we, 
we couldn't set it in April and he wouldn't have been ready because he just got the case in December. He would not have been ready in March. So we had to set it in May. Those people had already planned on booking or booked their tickets to fly from the West Coast. You know, I, I can't abandon my post and abandon the office to go campaign for a political office and, uh, and leave those people hanging because there's nobody else to do it. You know, there, there's the other prosecutors in our office have full caseloads. I can't dump my stuff on them and go run off and campaign. And so I'm just not going to do that to the victims. One of the things I've done my entire career is, is look out for victims. Nobody, people seem to forget that every crime that has a victim on it, you know, they're, they're a victim for the rest of their life of what happened to them. And if these folks lost, you know, their son, their brother, and I, like I had the sister flew in from state of Washington, you know, all the way from the West Coast. And, uh, you know, she could not have been more positive to me and thanked me enough for staying on the ground and getting that case done for them and getting that guy put away. We asked for a life sentence. He got 48 years. I don't think he'll ever get out. Um, I think it is basically a life sentence. But um, What else have you learned from this political process? Because this is your first run, right? Yeah, I've learned that I'm not a politician. You know, I'm a prosecutor, but this is a necessary part. You know, I mean, somebody's got to leave this office. I've worked... 13 years in the Anderson office, 11 years in the Oconee office, and a year in Greenville where I learned a lot from watching how they do things because they move more cases and try more cases through their system just because they have more cases. It's a much bigger operation. And uh, so I, I'm the only guy running that is ready to step in and do the job from day one and, and knows both counties. I mean, it's a two-county circuit. You can't, you can't have worked Anderson your career and expect to know Oconee because you're you just not, or been the public defender for 10 years in Oconee and expect to come down here and prosecute cases and run the office here in Anderson. I know people in both offices. A lot of the people there I've worked with or, you know, at least have been in the office with them for 25 years. You know, I have there, and they're lifelong employees in the solicitor's office now that are class people that work hard. They've been, they've been, they've worked hard for many years, have been overworked for many years. And uh, I mean, you asked George Duckworth, a lot of the people that are still there actually worked for him, me included, at one point in time. You know, and George was an excellent solicitor, great solicitor. And, uh, you know, George hired good people. And uh, I've, been, I've been privileged to have been a part of that and uh, love what I do. Uh, it's like I say, it's been my life. Well, finally, you've been very modest to not mention you were part of the most legendary football team in the history of Anderson. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. We've all gotten old, hadn't we? With George Duckworth and oh, Cordell Matters. you got judges. you got legal people coming we out. We did. The uh, thing there. We did. We used to move around a lot quicker, too. We did. Well, but. good luck, and I know you'll you'll be glad to... Uh, to uh, yeah. Oh, oh, give somebody yeah. well and give him his phone number. You got any questions? Yeah. Well, if anybody has any questions for me, let me give my cell number. All right. It's, uh, and I, I give it to everybody, and I really don't hesitate to ever talk to a soul. If you call me... If I can't pick up the phone right then, I will call you back. Um, 933-9406, 933-9406. Anybody's welcome to give me a call. i got a website out there, too, wagnerforsolicitor.com, if you want to look up a little bit for me. I do have a Facebook right, page, so too. If they want to keep yes, up sir. what's going on, that's the best yes, way. Sir. All right, Good thanks, way. David. Good to see you. Thank you, Greg. I hope these six interviews from the candidates, our local candidates, have helped you choose which uh, candidates you most closely line up with and who you'd like to vote for, uh, for sheriff and for, for solicitor. These are two huge, huge, uh, important offices for Anderson County. So, uh, and of course, uh, District 10, the solicitor's office, reaches up into Oconee County as well. Very, very important. Um, it's been a long time since we've had a really good uh, 
uh, relationship between the solicitor's office and sheriff's office. So, and I think that's been more on the the solicitor side. We've had a, a solicitor who's been under the weather. He's been uh, sick for a couple of years, and it's time to get things back on track with whichever of these candidates you think uh, would serve us best. So, whoever you choose, get out and vote. It's Tuesday, seven a.m. to seven p.m. If you need to know which precinct to, place to vote at, you can visit https info.scvotes.sc.gov and it'll tell you your basic you put in your basic info and it'll tell you where you're supposed to go and vote and which candidates are on your ballot have a sample ballot there for you to look at and now for the most important thing of the week the most earth-shattering news bigger than politics the first summer tomatoes have arrived i bought some at the anderson county farmer market farmer's market this week and boy they do taste just like july yeah, we've been waiting on these forever. There, people are lining up early to get them, but I think they're starting to come in in larger bunches now. They seem to be coming in in plentiful supply. I know almost all of you listening will find the recipe for the summer tomato sandwich, the equivalent of me giving you a recipe for ice. But just in case you don't know, here are the elements required for the perfect summer tomato sandwiches. First, it has to be a fresh local tomato. Seriously, don't go to the grocery store looking for a tomato, for a real tomato sandwich. Uh, even some of the road to side stands and some of these vegetable stands that are selling up and down their highways and have permanent stands or selling Florida tomatoes that just don't have any taste yet. I tried them. The ones you need have to be from your backyard, uh, from the Anderson County Farmers Market, uh, or the Anderson Farm and Food Association. Those are the ones you need them from. Now, every neighbor has some in their backyard, and they'll share. That's great, too, or your, your mama or your grandma or whoever. But you got to smell them and touch them. They should be ever so slightly soft to the touch but not mushy. Man, you should be able to smell them when you pick them up. All right, the next thing you need is white bread. Yeah, that's right, health nuts. Wonder bread is best, but white wheat will do if you absolutely have to have some something healthy in there. But it needs to be very fresh, ridiculously fresh and ridiculously soft. Do not toast a tomato sandwich. Somebody tell me they toasted a tomato sandwich. I don't know where they're coming from on that. All right, Duke's mayonnaise is the next essential. If you live outside of our area, maybe like in the Midwest or the West Coast and are listening to this podcast, you know, blue plate mayonnaise is barely acceptable as a substitute. But when I lived in California, my family would make sure to mail me jars of Duke's mayonnaise. So find a friend who can help. If not, get in touch with us. Maybe we can work something out. Anyway, Duke's mayonnaise, not the light mayonnaise, not anything, just Duke's mayonnaise. You, you can find it anywhere. The only other essentials really are salt and pepper. Really hit it with a pepper. I think that makes a big difference and salt it up good. Get you a nice glass iced tea and sit down and you will be able to pray the most honest Thanksgiving blessing you have ever uttered to the Lord. Only God can give you a homegrown summer tomato. So be grateful for that. If you have nothing else in life to be grateful for, be grateful now that summer tomatoes, local summer tomatoes have arrived. Um... You can hold off on the extra ingredients if you want to. You don't have to. But by July, late August, adding bacon and lettuce and those things. But you can make a BLT now if you get some good bacon now. Or if you're just dying for a nice grilled burger out, nothing like a fresh homemade tomato, homegrown tomato on that too. But if you haven't been to the farmer's market this year, We've, we've talked about them a good bit before. I wanted to give you a quick one-minute update from the director, Sharon Nicomito, about what's going on down there. I'm Sharon Nicomito. I'm with the Anderson County Parks Department, and we handle the farmer's market. It's June, and the farmer's market is now officially open. We have tomatoes, squash, zucchini, um, lettuce, potatoes, onions, 
Did I say tomatoes yet? Yeah, we have tomatoes. I actually had my first fresh tomato Tuesday, and it was amazing. The market's open at 8 to 1, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. Um, if you ride by and don't see a lot of vendors here yet, doesn't mean that everything that you're looking for is not here. So come on, stop on by. She's right. It may look like there's not as many as there in the dead of summer, but it, when I went by, about everything you could want in there. Uh, saw blackberries, really big, sweet blackberries, blueberries. And that means one thing that when not too many weeks ahead, peaches will be here. And remember, Anderson County Farmers Markets, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturdays from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. The Anderson Farm and Food Association is Tuesday nights from 4.30 to 8. And uh, those two places are one of the best things about summer and all the bounty they bring in. Um, the recent heat and humidity are not so much so, but, uh, hey, that's part of the price we pay for having this wonderful stuff. If your air conditioner or you're in your car or at home has been sputtering before, you're likely in trouble now. But, again, is the price we pay for a great summer bounty, so remember that when you're eating all those wonderful things this summer. And then I wanted to talk about something on a serious note. It kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with one of our guests last week. If you did listen to last week's Anderson Observer podcast, News from People You Trust, you heard Chief Deputy Taylor Jones, who's Director of Anderson County Emergency Preparedness, talk about what to do when somebody shows up and starts shooting at your place of business, school, church, uh, favorite restaurant, other public place. At least 50 people have died, been reported dead in Orlando Sunday morning as a result of a shooter who opened fire. And from all the reports, uh, he was just kind of staying in there picking people off over a long period of time. So it took a while. And Taylor Jones, um, Chief Jones, who's been training people at Anderson County schools and churches and businesses and government offices and other businesses here on what to do if you should be in a place and a shooter shows up. I wanted to remind you of the basics that he is putting out there in this training. Now, you can get this training as well by contacting them. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. The first thing to do is if you're near a door or a window you can get out, run. Just get away. If you're near an exit or a doorway that's away from the shooter, take it and get out of there because that's your best chance of survival if you know you can get away. If you can't run, if you're trapped between the exits and the shooter, you try to hide. If there's some place you know you can get into and hide, it's pretty a pretty good place. Give it a shot. If you can barricade a door with something heavy, get in some place where you might not be found or it can be locked and hard to get into. Your idea there is, on average, it takes eight to ten minutes for emergency response teams to show up. If you can give yourself that much time, you've got a really good chance to survive. But finally, and this is the big one most people don't know and don't don't really plan for and just don't understand, and that is fight. Chief Jones said your chances of survival go up 80 to 90% if you fight back. That's right. The days of shooters telling you to get down and be still are over. They start shooting you when you do that now. So you got to learn to throw things at the shooter. Use any weapon at your disposal. One of the best things is a fire extinguisher is always a good weapon because you can spray it, open it up on them, or you can hit it, hit them with it. Fire extinguishers are pretty nice heavy weapons. And when groups of people don't comply to a shooter, when they all fight back, there are far fewer casualties. So remember, run first, hide if you can't run, and then if you can't run or hide, you got to fight. And if you want more information about that, you can visit the Anderson County's Emergency Services page on Facebook or on the web for dates of the training that they offer, and uh, you can call down there and talk to them about that. And I'm glad we have this kind of uh, forethought and planning on such emergencies locally and appreciate all that Chief Jones has done uh, to have solid, detailed plans to keep Anderson for ready for those things we hope will never happen here. He calls it making Anderson strong, and Anderson strong, I think he's spot on with that. Well, that's just about it for this week's Anderson Reserver podcast, News from People You Trust. And join us again next week for the election results roundup from the primary and a very special interview with an Andersonian who was once a tag team partner of Andre the Giant. 
So until then, go get you some nice, fresh, homegrown tomatoes and do something to make Anderson a better place. Well, you can go out to eat, and that's for sure. But it's nothing a homegrown tomato won't cure. Put them in a salad, put them in a stew. You can make your very own tomato juice. You can eat them with eggs, you can eat them with gravy. Eat them with beans, pinto or navy. Put them on the side, put them in the middle. Put a homegrown tomato on a hot cake griddle. Homegrown tomatoes, homegrown tomatoes. What'd life be without homegrown tomatoes? Only two things that money can't buy, and that's true love and homegrown tomatoes. life I lead. Well, I'd be Johnny Tomato Seed, cause I know what this country needs. It's homegrown tomatoes in every yard you see. When I die, don't bury me in a box in a cemetery. Out in the garden, be much better, and I could be pushing up homegrown tomatoes. Homegrown tomatoes, homegrown tomatoes. What'd life be without homegrown tomatoes? Only two things that money can't buy, and that's true love. Homegrown tomatoes, homegrown tomatoes.